one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Patrick Barclay, the author and columnist, and Tony Hodson from the Coach's Voice platform. Tribal scores were settled at Anfield on Sunday. Now that the little local difficulty of the Merseyside derby has been safely negotiated, Liverpool turn their attention to the Champions League. They're back at Anfield on Wednesday, intending to spoil the feel-good story of Villarreal's progress to the semi-final. The quadruple is still alive. So Tony, I think we're going to get used to this question. Is history beckoning? Definitely is. Definitely is. Right? And there aren't that many games left, but it feels like there's an awful lot of story and narrative still to play out, isn't there? This is a club, a manager and a team that are never short on belief. But I think they're showing new signs, new levels of belief this season, largely because the squad depth they actually have to go with it, which which I don't think they've had before quite to this level. They've won the League Cup. The Premier League is, as everyone knows, currently out of their hands. There's nothing they can do about that. But in a strange way, this is, I mean, it all feels very deja vu from 2018, 2019, doesn't it? When the two teams just seem to win about their last kind of 100 games each to, to, <laughs> to score record numbers of points. So in a way, although... It's frustrating for them and, and history isn't in their hands. But it probably won't affect them that much. They've been there and done it before. And the last time this happened, they ended up winning the Champions League. So they won't worry too much about that. They've got an FA Cup final against the Chelsea team that just seems to have a lot else going on, on and off the pitch. And as you said, they're, they're three games from winning the Champions League with a semi-final against VRL, which great story though they are. I don't think many people would would expect Liverpool to go out in the semi. So it's a it's a it's a mad position to be in, not something Liverpool under Klopp have even come close to before, what with their kind of lack of commitment to cup competitions previously. But the handle it so far, and actually the way that Klopp has handled both his squad and individuals within that through the course of the season, through some very intense fixture periods, fatigue doesn't actually look like the issue that it has been in, in previous seasons. So it's possible. The odds are still against it, largely because of the Premier League, but let's see. Yeah, well, you know, we know Liverpool, Paddy, as a, as a club that feeds off its heritage in European competition. And, we, and we've seen them in various guises across se- several generations. You know, how, you know, with your experience of, of watching Liverpool, how does this side or squad rate against the great Liverpool teams of other eras? 
as a team, I mean, the, the game has changed and, and, and you, Mike, well, everybody will know that the, when, when I first started covering Liverpool in the mid-19, mid to late 1970s, it was a team game. It's now a squad game. So the, the overall strength of the playing staff is infinitely greater now than it was in the 1970s. As for the team, well, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to judge. One thing I would say is that there aren't any ordinary players in this Liverpool team. And I mean, if you, who, who was the best player in the Liverpool team of the, of the 70s? Well, Dalglish and, and, and Rush. Are they better than Salah and Mane? No, they're different. But where were, in those days, where was the Firmino? Where was the Diaz? Where was the, the overall strength of this Liverpool team is, is, definitely, um, is definitely greater. On the other hand, where's the, where's the Sunes today? There is a Hansen, there, there, you know, you know in, in Virgil van Dijk. Probably the only thing you would say where they, where they wouldn't uh, compare as well as the very best of the Anfield teams of the past would be midfield organiser, i.e. the Sunes figure. Even Thiago isn't that. Thiago is an adornment rather than a, a general, in my opinion. Beautiful though he is, more beautiful than Graham ever was. So uh, the... oh, I think he'll disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, he would. But uh, no, I, I mean uh, in a footballing sense. Uh, and Thiago, when when he hits the ball, it's a it's a it's a thing of beauty. But in terms of influencing a match, running a match, no, he wouldn't uh, compare him with Sunes. But in everything else, I think I would probably give this team the edge in the same way as I would give the football of today the edge over the football of then. When you look at Liverpool, you know, one of the other aspects of being such an emotionally driven club, Tony, which you'll know well, is, is you know, the way that folk heroes are adopted, you know, right from back Tommy Smith, for instance. This group, who has got that, that sort of X factor that makes them almost transcend their talent and, and, and mean more than their achievements? I actually think you just start with a manager, Mike, ahead of everything else. Actually, I watched the very excellent BT Sport film Boot Room Boys only over the weekend. Oh, we do love a plug. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And it was and it was brilliant. And what that showed is that, you know, Liverpool is a, is a city and, and a people that is kind of forged through its history, its experience, and actually to a large degree, the, the adversities that it, that it survived. And Shankly, Bill Shankly understood that. Now, Jurgen Klopp is no former miner. But he, he's a manager who has understood from the very start what the city is about, what the people are about, and the chemistry that that has produced over the last five or six years since, since Klopp has arrived is, mm. is, is what is the real stardust of this team. And I think when you speak to Klopp, when you speak to... I was lucky enough to spend some time with Pep Linders a couple of weeks ago. Mm. When you speak to these guys, they, they talk about the squad. You know, Linders told me about how the, the squad is managed by Henderson and Milner. You know, that mm. these guys, they set the standards on and off the pitch. Yes. And everybody else follows them. They've got many captains, Van Dijk is a captain, you know, Fabinho, you know, even, even the guys up front, you know, Firmino, these, there are a lot of leaders in this team, mm. but actually everything comes from Klopp. You yeah. see the, the reaction, the, the, the relationship he has with the fans. So actually on the pitch, there's a lot of amazing players. Salah is the one that stands out as the absolute star just because the numbers that he returns. Yeah. But it's more than just about Salah. Some, about some great players off the pitch as well. I mean, how many bad signings have Liverpool made in the last... Two or three years. I mean, it, it is it is extraordinary, and the the, uh, the 
comparison you draw between Klopp and Shankly, I'm glad you did that because they are very, they're both showmen. But what the genius of both of them, I think, is that from the minute they walked through the doors of Anfield, they established a rapport with the crowd. And once you, the manager and the crowd are together, there's nowhere for the players to hide. And that's why they play 100% every week, every player. It's, it, I, I don't think anybody's done it better. Even Ferguson, maybe, has, didn't do it any better, hasn't done it any better at, at that particular skill since Bill Shankly. Mm, and, we, and we saw some more evidence of that, you know, that sort of phenomenon, uh, you know, even on Sunday, Tony, where... <laughs> Klopp's got an ability to keep finding heroes, hasn't he? Now, you know, Divock Origi, mm-hmm. he'll leave Liverpool in the summer. You know, AC Milan is probably the, the likeliest destination. He probably would have been sold last summer if someone had stumped up about 15 million. Mm-hmm. Yet, here's someone who's played, I think it's 101 minutes this season, scored three goals, and is absolutely adored. Yeah, and that, but that comes from Klopp. You know, I remember Klopp saying over the summer he couldn't believe he was actually almost offended on Origi's behalf that nobody had come in and, and spent the money. <laughs> Absolutely great internal PR, that. But that just shows the impact that Klopp has and the, the, the affinity he has with his players and the way he's able to maintain those relationships. The fact that Origi can come on. Actually, funny enough, Origi last season didn't actually have a huge impact on the pitch, didn't, didn't play particularly well when he came on. Obviously, Liverpool as a team were, were going through other issues further back. But this season, he's looked a much happier individual when in the brief brief glimpses we've got of him you know his first touch his first touch against Everton was to was to lay it off for Salah to cross for the opening goal Andy Robertson flying into the back like Alan Kennedy yes. <laughs> and that's that's another thing this team has it just has this ability to create you know as Paddy says there are there are no ordinary players in this team there are players who can have an, have make an impact and make a difference at any given moment you'd have got pretty good odds on Andy Robertson scoring the goal in a Merseyside derby but um that's just, the, that's just the way it is with this Liverpool team. Mm. They're playing Villarreal, as, as we said. Unai Emery, Paddy, he's been described as the king of the cups by Klopp. Is he the sort of coach, do you think, almost like the, the purist's choice, where he's unsuited to the sort of political posturing that, that tends to, to go with life at a big club, what the biggest clubs? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think his his Arsenal Arsenal experience exemplified that. But you know, he's gonna when he retires, you know, and somebody says, "Show us your medals," he's gonna do. He's gonna be all right, you know. But yes, I, I agree with you. I think I, I think to be. Uh, I mean, even the politics of of clubs these days. Even Jose Mourinho was eventually worn down and defeated by it more than once, you know, in, in England alone. So it, it, it is very difficult. You, you can't blame man, uh, managers, coaches from embracing short-termism these days, you, you, you know, and, and Emery's, Emery's, Emery's that. But, but yes, King of the Cups, it's, it's, I wish I thought of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've spoken about Villarreal before, haven't we, Tony? You know, this is the club that, that offers hope that traditional virtues remain relevant in the modern game. You know, to give you an example, you know, I noticed this morning on social media, Swiss Ramble, who was, you know, a brilliant financial analyst of football, talked about Villarreal and, you know, their revenue and wages are around about a quarter of those that Liverpool have, but they're debt-free. Tickets, I think, for the, for the first leg, they're selling them for 20 euros. 
Now, you know, we've got the final now, which is 600, up to 690 euros for a ticket. They overcame their financial disadvantages against Manchester United in the Europa League final. How good are, you know, do we look down our noses at them, almost even unthinkingly? Probably, yeah. I think we've probably done it on this pod a few times, haven't we? Every time there's a Champions League preview, we talk about how Villarreal are kind of a kind of plucky underdogs, but yeah. this is probably one step too far. We said that about Juve. We said that against Bayern. I think I can't remember who it was, but Bayern you know. believed that as well, didn't they? Well, well, I actually, I actually was one of the kind of seven people who watched that second leg rather than Chelsea Real on that night. Um, <laughs> and Bayern just frankly didn't didn't create enough. Their wide players of the night, Kingsley Coman and. Who else played wide? Oh, uh, Leroy Sané, of course. Just, just didn't really produce enough, and they, they just looked to Lewandowski too much, and he got one. But then they, it was almost like, well, the next are going to come because, of course, the previous round they knocked seven past Salzburg in the second round in the second leg. So, I think they felt like something similar was going to happen. This VRL team are not built like that, you know. Again, to, to, to hark back to Shankly, that kind of holy trinity of manager, players, and fans coming together as one. That is VRL in an absolute nutshell. Oh, it's, it's it's built into the the town. You know, I I remember going to a couple of games there, and it is a genuine pleasure. It's when when you're a, a, a journalist, and I mean, Mike, you know, knows this better than anyone. That you 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 can get almost blasé. Oh, it's Barcelona again. Mm. They're just sitting up in that towering press box. Mm. You know where you're going to eat afterwards and so on. But you go to Villarreal, and, and it doesn't matter how often. You, you you know how many football grounds you've visited it's different it's actually built into the buildings of the the surrounding area a little bit like um, reminds me i went i saw the the new brentford stadium recently very reminiscent very reminiscent of, of villarreal in that sense it crammed right into the uh, residential area so and and i remember going out of the game and um seeing a, a, a door open and um, and people pulling pints. So I thought, oh, that's, that's nice. It's a social club. And you go in. And I was at uh, Kingstonian the other day. I had a match at Kingstonian. And they had the scarves from all the... They share a ground with Corinthian Casual. So they had loads of Corinthian Casual scarves against the, the great clubs that they've played. And it was exactly the same in the Villarreal Social Club. People had uh, left their scarves behind when they visited and they were proudly hung behind the bar. It was absolutely... And, and this is a team that's about to play in the in the Champions League semi. Absolutely terrific. I suppose only in Germany, apart from Villarreal, would you find this connect at the very highest level between the fans and the and the team it is such a you know community exercise in many ways you know, I, I love watching games in uh, in bilbao athletic mm. bilbao you know because oh, it yeah. is that it's a community yeah. community feel yeah um, the newcastle of the newcastle of the south yeah yeah <laughs> but when you've got you know this week it does highlight you know the different different approaches different finances of the Premier League and La Liga because both semi-finals are, are England v Spain uh, games. Yeah. Tony, when you look at Manchester City at home to Real Madrid on Tuesday, in a tactical sense, where do you think the key areas of that game will be played out? Ooh, good question. I think, um, I mean, Chelsea had to go for it in the second leg at the, at the Bernabeu previously, but they but they went with... They went with pace and movement and mobility. It's probably Timo Werner, who's been out in the cold for much of the season, hasn't shown much, suddenly seemed to come to life. Real are a team that 
you know, we'll talk about it in a bit. It seems to it was, feels like it was their last hurrah four seasons ago, and and, and, and <laughs> it still is now. They you can get it in that midfield is just wonderful, but they're not the most mobile. Casemiro historically sweeps up almost everything, but probably isn't quite having the same impact at the moment that he has. He's had a couple of injuries. Modric and Kroos, obviously, between them, are about 150 years old. So just yes. de- defensively and never going to be able to, to, to do, although they are both complete wonders, Modric particularly. But I think if Man City, and we know that Man City have huge amounts of pace, so I think if, if they can get at them and stretch the midfield to then create through create gaps in central areas going forward, then I think they, they could be really dangerous. One thing's for certain, Manchester City were absolutely delighted with the results of the Real Madrid-Chelsea quarterfinal. I think they, were, yeah. And I think that says a lot about how they'll approach this tie. The question mark, of course, is, is what Pep does with his selections. He's impossible to predict on a good week, let alone a big Champions, Champions League game. But I would imagine that Pace will play an awful lot. But Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden were both left on the bench at the weekend. They'll, they'll both start elsewhere, I, I would have liked to hazard a guess. Mm. It was a nice little gentle stroll, wasn't it, on, on Saturday against Watford. And actually, you know, Gabriel Jesus, you know, four goals, but it looks like he's on the way to Arsenal. We spoke in, in, in on the pod last week, Pat, about you know the probability of Haaland signing, you know it's it's unconfirmed yes. but seems to be inevitable. Is that a sign? You think that the football arms race is is intensifying? And if it is, what impact do you think also that will have on the sort of the traditional top two in Spain, Barcelona and Real Madrid? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think that I don't think Barcelona or Real Madrid are in a position to compete with uh, the top, well, I, I was going to say top three in England, but Chelsea's financial position, until that's clarified, uh, I suppose, since we're talking finance and arms race here, I don't think that Real Madrid or Barcelona are remotely able to compete with. I think that the way things are going, they'll be like Milan and Inter in terms of the fin- financial muscle within five years. It's It's deeply sad. I'm not crowing about that I think it's awful I think it's the worst thing that could happen to European football but I think that this season is just the just the confirmation of the growing power you know people talk about European Super League they may as well just call it the Premiership Premier League because the power of England in football is on the way to becoming absolute and we all know what absolute power does so That's a a worrying factor. I mean, I don't think that Real Madrid and Barcelona or indeed anybody else, including Bayern, will be able to cope with uh, the top top three, four, five in England in the foreseeable future. I mean, I'd I'd love you two to come and slap me down on this and say you're wrong. You're just being cynical. You're going too far. Because I think it will, I think it will ruin European football. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think we, we might touch on this a bit later, but also, you know, I, I look at Real Madrid and the way, and and same with Barcelona, they seem to spirit money, vast sums yes. of money from from you know, you know where no one knows quite. Yeah. Um, and you know, Real Madrid, you know, we are led to believe Tony that uh, Antonio Rudiger has has verbally agreed to join them on a free but he you know he won't come cheap in terms of wages and there's still this thing that well Mbappe might end up going there and not not accepting you know the empty the empty euro from uh, PSG 
what do you think the future holds f- in terms of if you're a young player coming through at, at, at Real Madrid, someone like Rodrigo, for instance, is only 21, but he's got, he's got real potential as a wide player. Yeah. Do you stay there? Because we're going we're to get another gen- Galactico generation, aren't we? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with Paddy on this a little bit. I don't see where the finance is going to come. I mean, I agree with you. They do seem to be able to just, like you say, magic money out of almost anywhere, almost nowhere. But I just, I don't, I don't see whether that return to the Galactico approach is one. Is it possible? And two, is is it really even desirable in an era when the money elsewhere is just so vast? I think if you look at the score, I mean, by the way, that that finished. People talk about the Modric pass. But that finish from Rodrigo was one hell of a finish. If, in terms of a young player building confidence, mm. that will do him the world of good. I think if you look around the squad, Vinicius Jr. is obviously kind of played second fiddle to Karim Benzema, but has been a really, really had great impact this season. That's taken him two or three years since he arrived there. But he's only 21. Fede Valverde is 23. Phil Mendy's only 26. I really like the look of Eduardo Camavinga. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've been banging on about him for, for, for about <laughs> 12 months. And every time he plays, I, I text at least one person saying that I really like the look of him. But I really do like the look of him. He's only 19. So it feels as though there is a, a kind of slow motion refreshing of the squad world rather than this kind of all out, let's spend a load of money on getting loads of big names. Obviously, if Mbappe arrives, that's big news. And, you know, much as... Rudiger is the kind of beating heart of the Chelsea team and is quite fun to watch. He doesn't really represent a return to the Galactico era, does he? He's a very, very accomplished centre-back who I think works better in a three than in a two. I don't look at him and, and think, oh my God, that's going to that's gonna take Madrid onto new levels in the next few seasons. So no. it, it feels like they are, it feels like a more realistic transfer approach than we've seen from them in the past. How, it, how impactful and how efficient and effective that's going to be, only time will tell. Yeah, I suppose... Pat, just off the back of your your, your previous comments, mm. um, am, am I right in assuming that you think the final will be an all English final? Yes. I mean, I can't I can't see how you can I, <clears throat> argue against it. I mean, in the yeah, I would like to see that final. Yes, I would. But on the other hand, there is a part of me that that wishes there was more of a challenge to the England the English clubs. But no, I can't. I can't see beyond it. I think um, possibly English clubs will win all three European competitions. But I'm jumping the I'm jumping the gun a bit there. But uh, no, I definitely think it would be uh, a Liverpool um, Man City final. But in a way, just the fact we're mentioning Man City. Man City they've been made a great club by the current regime. That's there's no question about that. But maybe I'm just being old-fashioned, but a footballer should, a European footballer should be dreaming of putting on the Real Madrid or the Barcelona shirt for me, not the Man City shirt, with all due respect. It, it's, it, I, it, there's nothing wrong with the New World Order. It's just that having been brought up on those two Spanish giants, I, I do kind of lament the fact that they're, they now have to play. They, not, beyond that, I was looking at Roma's squad play um Leicester and it, it's like a it's like a list of English football rejects <laughs> Maitland Niles Abraham Chris Chris Smalling you know I'm not saying they're bad players or anything like that but it's only because basically they can't get a, a job in England isn't it that they're there and that's that's a bit sad mm. well you know since you've mentioned Roma 
that means that a certain Jose Mourinho is back in town. Yeah. Speaking of England, English football rejects. It's <laughs> <laughs> only a joke in yeah. case he's watching. Yeah. <laughs> They're listening, should I say? Yeah. So, Tony, we're going to make it all about him. Let's be honest. And he's going to make it all about him, isn't he? He, he cannot resist this sort of occasion. No, it's absolutely made for him. I mean, he'll probably just be happy that they're not playing Bodo Glimt for about the 20th time this season. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, I mean, <laughs> Mourinho's built his entire career on winning things, hasn't he? And they actually, he, he because it is all about him, he hasn't won a trophy in five seasons, I don't think, not since United won the, won the Europa League. And it's kind of a sign of kind of where he is as a manager that he's two great, two great achievements, ironically, both outside England winning the Champions League with Porto and Inter. Then yeah. he won the Europa League with Man United, and now he's hoping to win kind of the next one down. There's this kind of slow motion kind of disappearance from football for one of the yeah. great games. I mean, this is his chance for a trophy this season. They're not, they're not going to finish, they're probably not going to finish in the top four. So Champions League looks out of reach for next season. So that's a bit, a bit like Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. You're left with the prospect of winning a trophy, and any trophy is better than no trophy. Um, mm. This is actually... In terms of UEFA, they'll probably be quite happy at who they've ended up with in the last four here because they've got a Premier League team that have a, a recent, strong recent history, Jose Mourinho, and then in Marseille and Feyenoord, final two two teams with pretty strong European pedigrees. So mm. it's much better than it might have looked, I think, when when Tottenham were trying their best to get knocked out of earlier in the season. Yeah, you know, Roma lost to Inter three one on on uh, Saturday evening, which probably is a bit of an accurate gauge of of where they are. Where yeah. do you think Leicester are, Pat? You know, there was a pretty sterile draw with Aston Villa on Saturday and they're struggling to score goals. Yes, they are. But what a good time, given that fact, for Jamie Vardy to start his, uh, his comeback from injury, which he did at the weekend. So that is a, a really good sign, especially as he's proved in, in past campaigns that he loves European football and, and, and in, relishes it. So... That's a good sign. But, I mean, Leicester, I, I, I think Leicester play, play lovely football. And, 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 you know, Tony will agree with this, that Rodgers and Mourinho are a sort of sign of the coach's brotherhood. In that Mourinho, you know, what he, he'd hate, probably hate me saying this, but he's a really nice fella. And he does believe in helping fellow coaches. And, and Brendan Rodgers is a good example of that. There is a mutual respect between those two, which... You know, is sort of kind of counteracts the fact that Mourinho is going to make this all about him. He's been very generous and praised for Rogers in the past. Well, that goes back to the the time Chelsea. that uh, that Chelsea when when he was with the academy when when yeah, Rogers was with the right. academy. Um, one thing one thing I would back up Pat's view there is on Brendan Rogers. We obviously a coach's voice. We speak to coaches all the time, mm. and the number of coaches that we have spoken to who have talked about times when they've been out of work or going through a tough spell or just wanting some advice. And the name Brendan Rogers comes up repeatedly. This is a guy who is always open and just gives coaches. Because I think he he has benefited, he's profited from being a, 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 play, a coach who didn't play at high level, wasn't a big name. And I think he's gone out and spoken to a lot of coaches in his early career. And I think he now does exactly the same for a lot of coaches. Which backs nice, up. nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I must admit, with 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 Brendan Rogers, I I've still got a slight hunch that he might end up coaching in La Liga. Yeah. yeah. He spent a lot. He spent a lot of time there. Did a lot of coaching visits when he was out of work. Learned learned the language. 
I, I, I think he, I think he'd do really well there. That's a fair point because although he's friendly with Jose Mourinho and there is a mutual respect between them, they are philosophical opposites. Yeah, and uh, the kind of football that to which most of the top Spanish sides aspire is very much what Brendan Rodgers loves. Yeah, they're in the conference, which is probably the surprise competition of the year. The Europa League, Tony. Uh, West Ham winning that, would that be uh, Declan Rice's farewell present? Um, it's starting to look like it, isn't it? I mean, we were, I was on a few weeks ago with Seb Stafford Bloor when he went on a beautiful rant as to why Declan Rice. It wasn't. It wasn't actually a rant. It was a very well constructed argument as to why Declan Rice should stay at West Ham. Certainly had me believing by the end of it. But all the all the all the signs are pointing to to him leaving, aren't they? Which is a great shame for the club, but but more than understandable for the player, regardless of where he goes. I mean, squad depth was always going to prove an issue for West Ham this season, wasn't it? away from a, a, an overachieving first eleven to begin with. And I think it's a sign of the job that David Moyes has done, that they've gone so deep into the end of the season, both competing for European places in the Premier League and for a trophy in Europe. Spot on. Mm. Well said. Well, well, give us your appreciation of the type of job that, that David Moyes has done, please, Pat. Yeah. It's a, all I need to do is refer you back to Everton. You know, constant consistency... I'm not saying they're finishing, you know, top in the top half every year, but consistency of performance, consistency of recruitment in under limited resources, and probably the best thing of all is the way he's coped with the the Thursday routine. For some, I've never been able to. And Tony and with his, uh, and well, both of you two lads with your experience of of the coaching network might be able to tell me why Thursday Sunday is more debilitating than Wednesday, Saturday. I don't know. I can't work it out. But it is, historically, ever since Newcastle, you know, got in, into it, and ever since then they struggled against relegation. But I, I, so I don't, I, don't, I don't fully understand that, but it does. And, and Moyes has done brilliantly. I mean, what, as we speak, West Ham 6th, 7th, I mean, it's a it's a tremendous achievement, and notionally they're battling in there with with Tottenham. I mean, they should be. I mean, I don't know what Seb said because I missed that that one when you, when you two were on. But the sixty thousand capacity stadium that's full every week, they should be able to keep their players. West Ham. I mean, that would be better for the league, wouldn't it? If but they just don't have the budget, let's be honest. They don't have the budget to compete with, with the Arsenals, let alone the three above. Yeah, how, how much of that is down to the ownership, though, Pat? You know, because yeah, when you think yeah. about it, and, and where Must we be are... a lot, mustn't it? Well, when you think about it, you know, and I'll, I'll put my hands up here, I've always opposed the donation of that stadium to that football yes. club. I think it, it gave them a competitive advantage. But also, good owners would have strengthened that squad in January. Now we're, we're, now we're left in a situation where Zuma, Ogbonna are injured, Diop's gone down, Craig Dawson, who's their only fit defender, it seems, got himself sent off against Chelsea and he'll miss the game against Arsenal next week. When you're looking around at that squad, Tony, you know, there's some... <laughs> Moise has done some terrific stuff in terms of... Right, you know, Jared Bowen, for instance, you know, yeah. there's there's someone who's England material, isn't he? Yes, he is. He hundred percent is. He's been absolutely brilliant all season. I think. I mean, you've described there. You've you've listed four 
decent, if not well-beating, centre-halves, which is actually not a bad spot for a squad to be in. They've just been very unfortunate. The massive gap for them has been behind Mikel Antonio in the centre-forward position. And I think everyone assumed that they would strengthen that, if not in the, having not managed doing the summer they were doing in January. Now, I, to go back to, to Pat's point about, about recruitment, about David Moyes, there is a, there is a whether the, the owners have the money or not, there is a streak of common sense going through there. And neither club nor manager are going to throw millions upon millions of pounds at a striker just for the sake of it. Now, the fans, that, that frustrated the fans no end. And I, I don't know the story behind the club and behind whether they even came close to any kind of players at all. I mean, look at the, what Sebastian Haller has done for Ajax mm. this season. You think, yeah. yeah, what a job he could have done there. But yeah. It just reminds me a little bit of when, when Liverpool desperately needed a centre-back and didn't get Van Dijk, but just waited for Van Dijk. Now, West Ham fans will be absolutely over the moon to think there was a 35 million striker waiting in the wings to come in in the summer that couldn't arrive in January. Time will tell on that one. But the reality is that David Moyes is, is overachieving massively with a, with, a, with, a, with a squad that just doesn't really have the depth to be competing at the levels they've managed to all season. Fine. It's a fascinating tie against Eintracht Frankfurt. They took 30,000 to, to Barcelona. Remarkable. Pat, is again, is this part, you know, we, we do talk up, if you like, the downsides of, of, of the European game. But the Europa League is really providing a platform for these sort of mid-tier clubs. You know, they're ninth in the Bundesliga, drew 2-2 at home with uh, Hoffenheim at the weekend, only 10 wins in 31 league games, yet they will pose a real threat, won't they? Yeah, I like it. I, I, I like the Conference League as well. I mean, I think all, all three competitions now... Just in in parenthesis, I just we 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 criticise UEFA a lot for bending to the will of the big clubs and heading towards you know this European Super League concept. But you have to say that somebody at UEFA is doing a very very good job. The the the, the third competition, in my opinion, has been a huge success almost as big a success as, 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 as the Europa League this year, which I think has been marvellous. And not only that, at national level, the Nations League has provided a way of giving every team a chance so that no, no team gets battered uh, every international anymore. So the, there has been some clever work done. I mean, yes, okay, a, a bloated, self-perpetuating oligarchs league at the, at the top could ruin everything. But, you know, just let's say UEFA aren't doing a bad job there. I've forgotten the original question, Mike, but uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Uh, that's okay, Pat, you know, I'm, I'm, happy age, with, I, I'm happy with any answer you want to give me. At my me. age, that will happen, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I also love the other tie, Tony, Rangers against Red Bull Leipzig. You know, logically, that's probably going to be one, to, one step too far. You know, Leipzig only two defeats in 24 under Domenico uh, Tedesco. Mm. What do you think? Well, I remember, again, harking back to previous appearances, but I remember when I came on and said that it was one step too far when they drew Borussia Dortmund in the last 32. Yep. And, that's, <laughs> and that's three rounds ago. So um, yeah. we, shouldn't, and look, yeah, we, should, we shouldn't be too quick to dismiss them. They, the other thing, I guess, is that, and, and kind of alluded to that with, with your Eintracht Frankfurt point earlier, which is that what we've got 
in almost all of these ties now is teams who are desperate to win something because they've got nothing else to play for domestically. Rangers fans wouldn't like to hear that. They can still win the Scottish Premiership. I don't yeah, think they will. They won't. Yeah. Um, which means that this is this is this is a big focus for them. Um, it is, yeah. Giovanni van Bronckhorst has made a, a solid start, but winning a trophy like this would give him some serious momentum. It's a tough task. Leipzig do do look like a, a club on the up. They're in the German Cup final. I think they they lost at the weekend, but they look like they'll probably get top four in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Tedesco's only thirty six. Another of these young, talented coaches coming through took Schalke to second, and look where they are now. And obviously they've got I think mean, Christopher and Kunku. They've got a guy who's just scoring. It was interesting looking at the stats before this. Eintracht Frankfurt. They don't have a single player who scored ten goals this season. And kunku has got thirty, so it shows. Yeah, I think it, it could it could come down to the the, the striker issue. I, I think Rangers will be close to any team they play. I've watched them all the way through this tournament, and they've not. They, in some games, that they, they, they've been far better than even the score suggests. I mean, they create countless chances, and if Alfie Morelos is playing, they'll put them away. Yeah, but isn't he isn't he injured? I'm not sure. He is, he's, he's yeah, injured. That, yeah. Yes, yeah. that's the point. He's injured. He's on crutches still. So that's the and if and, and meanwhile they're up against Munku, uh, uh, Chris Nunku. Now that's that's a bit unfair. But in terms of football, I mean Rangers end up having to get goals from the the right back to Vernia, who at times makes uh, Trent Alexander look defensive. Uh, he's he's scored. He's been involved in 19 goals or 20. Well, I think it's more than 20 goals this season, assists, but mainly through scoring them. But you you know you can't realistically you can't rely on that. So I think this yes, it might be the end of Rangers result uh, run. This I wouldn't bet against them. I would never bet against them in Europe this season. They've been great under Bronckhorst, Van Bronckhorst. But I think this. The, the the tale of two strikers could swing it, and I and I would I would probably agree with you that the, this is could be the end of the run. Yeah, you'd need to take your earplugs to the uh, Ibrox uh, game, wouldn't you, Pat? Oh, they play with twelve men. I mean, they really do. There's uh, apart from the, the the crowd. I mean, the crowd is fantastic. Um, it's loud, it is it's, loud. It's 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 genuinely loud. People talk about intimidating crowds. I don't think anybody would be intimidated, but they've been certainly inspired by that uh, that Ibrox crowd. I mean, I'm I'm a Dundee supporter, so you know I, I can't bear the ugly sisters as we refer to Rangers <laughs> and Celtic. I can't stand them, but I've been a Rangers fan during this campaign i'll be you know in the privacy of my own home i've been jumping up and down in front of the bt screens watching this campaign i think they've been fabulous and and the you know on and off the field the entertainment has just been you couldn't beat it yeah also on thursday night manchester united are playing chelsea i've never tony thought of a time where a fixture like that would feel so marginalized no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't strike. We 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 talking last week at, at the coach's voice about the games that we we're going to focus on this week and get get analysed by our by our experts. And this one came up. We're like, well, the Europa League game and those Europa League semis are great, so we should focus on one of those and you know not worry about United Chelsea too much, which is bonkers because you know what when like you say when would you have not in the past 10, 15 years been all over a Man United Chelsea game. It's just, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we could talk about Man United all day, couldn't we? I think everyone could, probably with quite some glee in the majority of cases. 
and Chelsea, as discussed, they've just got so many other things going on. When, when they lost, when they lost home to Arsenal, I mean, Thomas Katuka looked like a man who couldn't wait to get out of there quick enough, could he, on that evening or possibly going forward for good? So yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But I mean, I, 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 I fully expect Chelsea to win that game just because Manchester United can't seem to keep goals out at the moment. And we talk about the organisation of teams like Villarreal and United stand as the complete opposite of that at the moment, don't they? Mm. Yeah, the goalkeeper has limited the damage. De Gea has had a, a, a tremendous last few months, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, as good as in his at his peak. But uh, yeah, the, the 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 thing about Manchester United, I'm sure we all know that, that it's a rotten culture and it's it needs to change. And I fear for the new manager. I can't see any reason why it should be any different. Uh, under him I, I mean I know it's <laughs> he hasn't even started yet but you know what I mean I just I just feel that they've they've mashed Van Hal, they've mashed Mourinho they've mashed Moyes they've mashed you know why should this guy be any different yeah you know, I'm reminded of the, of the George Graham line you know pointing at those players that they're, they're the players who got the previous manager sacked yeah, and you're taking yeah. them over. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it looks like does it? Do you think Tony that Paul Pogba is never going to play there again? You know, it's a really a, well. I think it's one of football's strangest stories when you think about it. United had him, allowed him to leave for free, paid a ludicrous amount of money. I can't quite remember how much at the moment. It was about eighty, ninety million, whatever it was, to get him back. And then they're going to lose him again for free. How does that work? I mean, if anything, he becomes the poster boy of this Man United era, doesn't he? Of just the, the, the way that things just have been managed terribly. I don't think... Yeah. When he came back, I don't think... I mean, obviously, it's a bit like Lukaku to Chelsea, isn't it? You know, you look at the, the amount of money and you think, well, hang on a minute, you had this guy within your four walls, you've let him go and you ended up paying this amount of money. That can't, that can't be right. Just put that to one side and make it big clubs spend a lot of money on huge huge talent. It just hasn't worked. He, well, and the thing is, you've right, you look at him for France, you, you know, you watch him in a, in a World Cup winning team for France, and he's a leader. He's, a, you know, he, he's one of the drivers of that team on and off the pitch. And then you look at him for United. Now, I'm sure he is injured. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so cynical enough to, to claim that he just didn't really fancy it against Liverpool, so hobbled off. But... You just, I mean, it's a cliched phrase, isn't it? Talk about the players you want to go into war with, take with you into the trenches. But by God, Pogba's just the absolute archetype of the fact that United don't have many of those at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are, just, I know many of United, I know many United fans who really admire him as a player who are just desperate to see the back of him. And that's a I don't, ag- I don't agree. I, I, I think he's a talent. I don't think he was a key player when France won the World Cup. I think Griezmann was. I mean, I, I, I just, I thought France worked out a way of playing during that tournament, which was to play 10-man football and then allow Pogba to join in anytime he feels like it. I think that's the only way you can deal with a player like that. And, you know, but I'm, maybe I'm being a bit cynical and, you know, you've, you've got your view of, of, of what he contributed to that tournament. But... No, I just think he's terrible, and I, and I just think it's a, 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 a sign of the incompetence of the, the, with which the club is run, that he wasn't sold when a mug would have bought him. I mean, Zidane was gagging for him at, at Real Madrid. 
what what an offer that was, even if it was 50 million or whatever, whatever he was willing to pay. Bite the hands off. Instead, Ed Woodward's making a show about how clever they are in keeping him. <laughs> well, what are they going to get for him now? And they'll be lucky to get nothing because they'll probably <laughs> have to pay him to go. Yeah, well, I think that's what happens when you have a brand first and a footballer second. Um, yeah, spot on. Tony, you know, as you said earlier on, you, know, you, you spend your life talking to coaches. What about a job swap? Antonio Conte to PSG, Pochettino back to Spurs. I mean, both of those individuals fit the clubs you've just listed them with better than the other one. I would have serious reservations about Pochettino back to Tottenham just because of the old cliche of never go back. What he produced there first time was 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 nothing short of miraculous, albeit lacking in trophies. And I think you've got a Harry Kane-shaped problem that may rear its ugly head again this summer. And I just think repeating the feat is probably, you know... Also, he's, he's a, I wonder about Pochettino's confidence at the moment. You know, PSG can ruin people. <laughs> and I think, you know, Unai Emery... Unai Emery actually talking about, you know, he got out of there, he got out of there having probably actually been slightly more successful than Pochettino was in terms of trophies, if not in terms of Champions League progress. I just, I worry about, about Poch going back to Tottenham and it not working and, and things just going, frankly, tits up quite quickly. Conte looks like he's slowly building something at Tottenham. Now, of course, that could all change in the summer if, if, the, if the checkbook isn't open and the Conte toys come out of the pram, which is where they probably spend most off-season at most clubs. <laughs> But, you know, if you watch Tottenham at the moment, I mean, again, they, they, they're not playing amazing football and they're not getting great results, but there are signs of progress. I don't know what Tottenham, I suspect Tottenham fans would probably take the job swap you just described. But if it was me, I'd probably stick to Conte for the moment. Yeah, well, Pochettino was, was booed when PSG won their 10th <laughs> French League title at the weekend, which... <laughs> Which, in a way, actually is a, a really good commentary on the way even French fans think about their own league. Uh, that that weekend, Pat, also, you know, Bayern won their 10th successive Bundesliga title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you've already said that Premier, Premier League money talks in the Champions League. Mm. I suppose as a final question, yeah. is the age of the underdog gone? I hesitate to say gone because we're talking about, we've just spent a lot of time, quite rightly, talking about Villarreal. I thought the age of the underdog went with Bosman. And then several, you know, when, when Ajax beat Milan in the Champions League final about 20 years ago, I thought, that's it. You're, you're not going to get teenagers like Clivert and blah, 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 winning things against a huge club like Milan, owned by Berndasconi. You're not going to get that anymore. And then Jose Mourinho completely disproves us. So I... I, I cling to the hope, you know, that, that somebody will come on. And, and, and uh, you know, Monaco a few years ago with a young team, you know, did well at Leipzig. The, so I hesitate to say never. It, it, it's a very, if, if your question is put rhetorically, it's very hard to argue. Yeah, well, I suppose in England we'll always have Leicester, won't we? Yes. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a betting man. Uh, unlike you, Tony. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'll I'll give you odds of fifty thousand to one 
uh, that the Premier League will never again be won by a 5,000 to 1 outsider. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm exaggerating, obviously, to make a point, but football is, or at least it should be, about dreams. And that innocence has long been lost. There's a real danger of the same teams winning year in, year out. In that sense, it's really disappointing to learn that any independent regulator will not have the power to influence financial distribution. And the really good idea of a transfer levy to bolster the EFL and you know, the, the finances throughout the pyramid has been rejected by the government. Now, to, to level the playing field a bit, I'd like to see luxury taxes on excessive spending, a little bit like they have in Major League Baseball. What do you think of that idea? Please let me know. And in the meantime, thanks to Tony and Paddy for their insights. And thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.